We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is Mike Slatman. I'm a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators and honored to be so. I have over 46 years now in the um, investigation of fires as a police detective and a private investigator. And um, I'm also the primary instructor for the IAAI expert witness uh, course. And this is Donna. I have 30 years uh, experience in fire and fraud and a past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators. And welcome to Speaking of Fire. Yes, thank you for being here. Um, uh, We have a company called um, Fire Consulting International, and Donna and I both work for that. And, uh, well, it's my company. I guess I work for it somewhat. Anyway, but uh, today we we are honored to have uh, Rhonda Lukey with us. She is an independent analytical professional with with knowledge throughout the entire um, insurance industry. Uh, She is a licensed adjuster in 22 states and uh, has has examined and managed all kinds of of insurance losses. So I'm glad you're here, um, uh, uh, Rhonda. Uh, Also, also I want to say something else about your career because I've -hmm. I've looked at it. Uh, You've managed fraudulently claim files um, and with over five million dollars in, in savings for the insurance industry on on uh, on fraudulent losses, and you've yeah. handled multi-million dollar uh, losses nationwide. Um, and yeah. I think there's a lot that the insurance um, uh, people don't understand about insurance. And and so maybe you could tell us uh, when you when an insurance company receives a claim, what happens in a it's a fire claim? Go ahead. Well, Mike, first of all. Thank you, Mike and Donna, for allowing me to be on the show. It's an honor. Um, I love sharing these thoughts and ideas with our uh, industry and our colleagues um, because I think it's important that we all learn and grow. Um, And from what you've asked, Mike, uh, what do we do from a claim side? Now, what I'm going to talk about today is truly from the claim side, from the insurance company side. I am not an attorney, and I don't know everything, hence why we have attorneys. But, not that they know everything, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, I do know. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for finding that out because <laughs> you saved me from doing that. Go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> thought I'd help you there, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, um, what I'm going to tell you about is um, how we handle it from the insurance side. Um, a lot of things will help the consumer. A lot of things will help our other colleagues. Okay? Um, as far as the fire goes, when you have a fire... It doesn't always mean it's accidental. It doesn't always mean it's arson. You need to find out. Your investigation will start the moment that claim comes in. And the way it starts is when it's reported. All carriers are different, and I've worked for multiple carriers. Some of them have somebody on call that takes the large losses right away. Others, it has to be rerouted, which is generally the majority of them, uh, to get to the right people. So when that claim comes in, that very first call is when your investigation is going to start. 
and it generally gets fielded right away to somebody in that area. Because generally when the call comes in, you don't know how big the fire is, how bad it is, and generally a large lost person who would handle the fire for the insurance carrier, um, they're not always in that vicinity. They may be a state away, they could be a city away. So they'll have somebody on the ground right away. That first person on the ground, that first field person, is what's going to start it. They can collect so much information at the time. But the biggest thing is, is you secure your scene. That first person that gets a call, secure the scene. I know there's a a few different companies out there, national, that do fence rental. So sometimes, depending on where the fire is located, um, what type of area it's in, you may want to secure the scene to help preserve it for the investigation. Um, In doing so, you know, you can put up an emergency fence. The next thing the person's going to want to do who's in the field is they're going to want to call their supervisor who may or may not be aware of what the fire is, what we have, and make sure that when they go out there and say, wow, we have a fire that we don't know what the cause is, that we get it to somebody in our company who has done these before so that it can get tracked to the right people, the right claims people handling it. So the field person generally will hand it off to somebody um, such as a claims examiner, which is generally my role. And 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 Rhonda, um, in fact, mm-hmm. in fact, under the uh, Sarbanes Oxley Act, you have to assign that to a uh, someone that's experienced in that regard. Just like when you, you send out a fire investigator, you have to make sure that they're properly trained and uh, and are proper experts. Is that correct? Exactly, Mike. Exactly, and that's why. When we start as insurance adjusters, it takes a lot of experience, um, a lot of learning to get to where we need to be to work a file the best you can. In doing that, they send it up to a claims examiner simply because we have worked these before. We're more familiar with fires and are more familiar with what needs to be done. In particular, with an examiner, There's certain things from state to state that a field person who only handles their state, their particular area, may not always know um, simply because a new law came out, new case law came out, new statute, anything can change that. So the examiners are generally kept abreast of the newest developments on that side. And with their experience, they can help direct the field person while they're out there getting things ready. So, yes, the first thing the field person will want to do is send it to an examiner. Um, From there, an examiner is going to assemble their team. Um, Use of experts. In my case, um, what I will generally do, the first person I'll contact is obviously an ONC. And like you said, Mike, and Donna, you say this too, I know I, I can't stress enough. You have to have a competent, knowledgeable experienced, certified origin and cause expert. Um, If you have somebody out there who just says, gee, I know how to investigate this, they're not going to pass the Dauber test. When they don't pass the Dauber test, their report, their testimony is nothing. It's thrown out. It's useless. Um, So you want somebody who's very, very competent. So generally, once I get a file... mm -hmm. 
I wonder about, about that. Just one thing. The Daubert uh, mm-hmm. is a decision that uh, this is for the people that, that don't understand Daubert. Uh, it's a it's a decision that came out. It was actually a pharmaceutical case, and what it's done is it's spread throughout the uh, in- industry, all corporations, and it says that you have to be properly trained. You can't use junk science. You and the and the judge is the gatekeeper of the information. So, in a Daubert hearing, you've got two experts. They go in, they testify outside the presence of a jury on a motion, a Daubert hearing, and then the judge makes a decision as to whether or not they can render an opinion in that particular case. And and Rhonda couldn't be more correct in that if they're not properly vetted, if they're not properly uh, uh, trained, and if they don't have a like an IAAI certification, then that means they're not going to... They, they may be Dalberted out, which is called Dalberted out, would be allowed, not allowed to testify, mm-hmm. and then therefore there goes their opinion. So she is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. I'm just reinforcing exactly what you're saying. I'm sorry. And you, Donna, no, I wanted to please. Yeah. And, and also, in addition to that, that could be a career ender for, for some fire investigators because they actually have a Daubert tracker out there online that attorneys oh, are yes. looking. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yes. I've heard of it. I haven't had an opportunity to see it yet, but I've heard of it. As a matter of fact, uh, since we're on the Dauber at the moment, I was actually in a deposition um, of one of my expert witnesses on a case, not for a fire, but for something else. Um, And as he was um, explaining something, I saw the attorney's look, and I thought, oh, he's going to owe Oh, he made Dauber test out. And I realized then that we may have an issue with that file simply because my expert witness was not going to be qualified enough to be able to render his opinion. And without that, you have your case gone, if not more. Yeah, and you know what? I want to bring up one other thing, and, and while you're mm-hmm. on it, because you're an insurance professional, I just want your opinion about this. Um, currently, there's a move in the industry to, um, to have... Um, sorry say basic rate fire investigations in other words a flat rate situation and the first thing i've been told yeah i heard some reaction to that anyway the the, yeah, the bottom growling, she's growling. Yeah, go ahead she's, she's growling. Growling. Yeah, growling okay well that's good i i i, I, I got a yeah I, I thought maybe it was my grandson i didn't know anyway the, the bottom line is this he's here in the studio but he doesn't growl he's like 28 anyway so here's here's the deal um I want, I want to know, because I had another adjuster tell me, oh, I don't want to use those flat rate things because the first thing they asked me in deposition is, well, you went with the with the one that you have the contract with, right? That it was the the, the cheapest rate you could get, and and you know, it, there's an inference that comes from that. Did you ever see that, or have you experienced that, or yes. seen some other body? Yes, okay. I just want yes, to make sure. Definitely, I have yeah. seen it. Both with carriers I've been with and with my colleagues, we obviously talk. Um, so I know companies that do do that, and I do know companies that don't do that. If And I'll be honest with you, Mike and, and Donna, you guys know this. It, first of all, from a legal standpoint, again, I'm not an attorney. But just mm-hmm. like you said, Mike, I guarantee you, question number 36 in that claims examiner's deposition is, how did you choose your ONC? And as soon as that person says, well, gee, they were cheap, flat rate. What does that tell you? 
that's not really investigating the claim. You're just trying to save money. And truly, I got to tell you guys, the company is not everything. It has to do with the actual individual, okay? I don't care about flat rates. I don't want to pay flat rates. I want to pay for something that I know is good quality. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, if I'm buying a um, Gucci handbag, I generally don't find one on the street corner for five bucks that's a real Gucci. Here's the other thing, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. See, here, because uh, I believe in the same thing, of course, because uh, yeah, here's, here's the deal. We, you, it, it, people should understand, and that's why I'm, I'm saying it, and you already understand it, that the insurance company that pays a, a private investigator to a, do a fire scene, they want to know what the truth is. They don't pay for mm-hmm. his opinion. They don't pay for his opinion. They pay for his time and his expertise. And that's what, um, in fact, in my expert witness classes, I, I, it's, I always ask them, well, they're paying for your opinion, aren't they? And some of them will say, yes. No, they're not. They're paying no. for your time and their expertise. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a learning thing. I always try and trap them. But that's what happens in <laughs> depositions, does it not? I, yes, exactly. Um, and I'm sorry, you cut out for just a second, Mike. What did you say there at the end? I said that's what happens in depositions is the other attorney's nope. trying to discredit the your investigator, so he's trying to trap him into certain things. So if he admits no, exactly. to, to, he said, oh, well, they're paying you for opinion, and you say yes, well, you're already dead. <laughs> so. Yes, and that is how they nail you. You have that one down pat, Mike. I love it. I love it. And um, while we're on this, Donna, I think you agree with me. I, I, we talked about a couple different claims we've had. I cannot stress enough, if you get a fire investigator out there, an ONC, and they're just saying, hey, guess what? I'll cut my rate in half to help you out. That isn't somebody you want. I, don't, I want somebody who knows what they're doing. And again, Mike, like you said, I don't care what the answer is. I just want the truth. I could care less if it's, you know, yes, there's hail damage. No, there's not. Yes, it's arson. No, there's not. I really don't care. Just the truth. I don't buy anybody, and you just don't. That's not what we do, really. And I'm glad that you said that because I wanted to ask you, just for clarification for consumers and, and other people to understand that other than the fact that you're insuring a property or whatever you're insuring, there's another interest. A lot of people say, well, why? what does it matter if it's accidental? What does it matter? Why do you need to go further? Tell us a little bit about why the insurance industry has a bigger interest than just the bottom line dollar. Oh, well, that's a huge part there, Donna. And you're exactly right. When we investigate losses, specifically fire, we're investigating them to find coverage. Contrary to popular belief at times, We really are trying to find coverage. But why is it important that we know what caused it? Why? Because if we end up having coverage and we find out the coffee pot, or I'm sorry, the coffee maker was defective, then we need to collect our monies back from that manufacturer. Not only that, it alerts us now so that we can say, hey, they may not have even known, and I have had a claim like this before on a dehumidifier. They did not know that they were starting fires until we had turned it into them. So it helps the general public 
when we investigate these by finding avenues to collect our monies back from the liable party being a coffee maker. Should they be liable, they were at fault, it caused the fire. Another reason we do, be sure that we are honestly providing the coverage afforded under the policy, a.k.a. the contract, okay? We don't want to pay a loss that's not covered, but we surely want to pay one fairly when it is covered. Um, And you're protecting the general public because a lot of people, and I know you guys talk about this a lot on your show, but it amazes me how many people don't realize that insurance is basically the piggy bank theory. So if, if you're in this nice little town and you have a large commercial fire, even just a homeowner fire, it's a total grounder. Chances are rates are going to go up in the area a little bit. Why? Because everyone's premium dollars goes into this piggy bank. When something happens, guess what? We got to dive into the piggy bank. Once we do, how do we replenish it? You raise the rates a little on everybody. We don't just mm-hmm. go to the one person who's had their loss and raise them. It's everybody pays for this. Everybody. And that's something I continually say. It's a, a pool. We are in a pool yep. together. Yeah, and and, and, as in, and incendiary fires or arson fires, arson's the legal term for incendiary fires, um, there, we know uh, from the studies that, you know, we don't lose more than $4 billion, uh, maybe even more than that, in known uh, fraudulent losses uh, every year in fire claims, plus... Um, a lot of them are undetermined, so we don't. If they're, they're they don't if they're not properly investigated, then we'll never know if it was said or not. So there you exactly. are. Exactly. And there's my and, other favorite for you, Mike: arson, accidental, and undetermined. Yeah. Those are all fun phrases because yes. truly, an undetermined or an accidental fire can be arson. I've seen them ruled that way. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, it's good. You know what a good example of that is, is you're, if you're uh, cooking a meth lab, okay, many of the states throughout yeah. the United States now have, if you have an f- accidental fire in a meth lab, it's arson. It, it's, it's, it's considered to be arson and you can be charged with, mm-hmm. uh, with an arson fire and put in jail for, for running your meth lab and having a fire. So remind exactly. that all the people that are, everybody that's running a meth lab out there, look out. Okay, go ahead. And that wasn't always that way. I remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, a very large carrier had to pay those claims because it was accidental. And there was nothing in the policy. There was no clause that said during a a felony. (laughs) Because it was bottom line that the fire was accidental. And so that was a paid claim. And you exactly. probably saw that. Did you probably saw that in your extensive experience? And you have wonderful experience uh, around. Uh, I've I've read your I've read oh, your thanks, CV, and and you've been really instrumental in, the, in this industry. And and I want to tell you that uh, that I really appreciate your being here, so that the people can hear. We can say it all the time, but we're fire investigators. We're the ones that are going out there and doing the origin and cause. You're someone that represents the industry, and if if they understand your point of view, um, then it's a lot better because a lot of, uh, well, you know this and I know you want to address this and that is just because you're doing an investigation doesn't mean you think that the insured set a fire. Exactly, exactly. And that's unfortunate that when we, we try and express to the insured 
Hi. First of all and foremost, let, let's all agree, regardless of the property, regardless of the cause, the concern is, is everybody okay, truthfully? Once we've established that, we're good to go. We reassure them as much as we can that we are not here to investigate this to try and get you. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to investigate it because we want to know, do you have coverage and pay you fairly if so? And if we end up paying you fairly and if so, what cost it? Is it something we can collect our money back um, to save everybody on their insurance rates? Is it something that might be a product that the manufacturer of the product isn't even aware of yet? It could be anything. It's truly when we send an investigator out, an ONC is not to, quote, try and get you. It's not. It's truly, um, I've even had fires before that the ONC came back, and when he told us what happened, I'm going, no kidding. That started the fire, really? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I never knew that would start a fire. The insured didn't know. You know what? Now the insured won't make that same simple mistake and do it all over again. There can be causes, and it's important to always know the cause of the fire. Um, but I think I talked to Don about this before. Just because it's accidental, <laughs> that does not mean that it wasn't arson. Um, I've had multiple claims ruled accidental, undetermined, and the good old electrical causes. No, <laughs> no, no, you're <laughs> right. Forty-five. Forty-five percent of the fires in this country are ruled to be an electrical event. When in possible, in reality, it's about fifteen percent, and uh, exactly. and it's a catch-all. It's a catch-all for for untrained uh, fire um, fire investigators and uh, well, primarily uh, the untrained uh, uh, fire departments. And I love fire departments. It's just if they don't train their their people properly, they're going to do. Uh, mm-hmm. There's one there's one city in this country where it's under. It was it was blanketed where it says if they didn't know the cause of the fire they couldn't call it, call it undetermined they had to call it an unidentified electrical event. Now isn't that bizarre? Oh, painful, painful. Why? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah because you just get passionate but, about this. That will, yeah. yes, that's not right because and actually <laughs> they should pull out electrical engineers to potentially rule out that the electric was involved. That's always something to look at too. When you have yes. undetermined. Yeah, we have a we, th- we have a thing. Uh, all of our investigators, when they believe that we they need an electrical engineer, uh, and the insurance company decides that they didn't want to send one, uh, we have uh, a little thing in our reports that says uh, the discussion uh, to engage an electrical engineer was was made. Or no, actually, it says engagement of electrical engineer. Uh, uh, was discussed, and then an engineer was not retained. And uh, and the reason we put that in there is so that in that audit that you're going to do six months from now, that file, and you're going to say, mm-hmm. why did you send an electrical engineer? That mm-hmm. that poor that poor adjuster can't say, well, the origin and cause guy didn't tell me that, you know. So. Mm-hmm. And no, yeah. that's exactly it. Sometimes it's not just an origin and cause because they're a well-trained origin and cause expert is is priceless. When they know what they're doing, they are priceless. But sometimes they still need to bring in an electrical engineer to confirm certain facts they already know that, yes, it definitely wasn't the electric. You know, certain things. Um, Yes, very valuable information. You're right, Mike. I would audit that file and ask that. (laughs) 
Yeah, and, and see, and then if the insured had been telling you that I've been having electrical problems, well, you certainly need somebody there to even if it, exactly. even even if you had gasoline spread across the floor and and burn patterns that and a positive sample you'd still have to have an electrical engineer eliminate that uh, to prove that indeed and in fact it wasn't electrical causation he said he was having trouble with it you see oh, and uh, you guys are you guys are the you're the, actually you know I always felt that the adjuster the uh, claims handler was the um, was uh, was the uh, wall against uh, fraudulent claims because if you guys do your your uh, your your jobs for correctly and you send the right people on it then and, and and you listen to the truth then you'll make the proper decisions you know you're the ones that keeps mm-hmm. the most fraud out of out of it did you exactly. have exactly and that's our goal that's our goal to save people money and eliminate the fraud it really is Exactly. And so what we'd like to do, and, and uh, we only got two minutes left here until we go to break, but I want to I wanna do a setup with you so that you know what we're going to, when Donna comes back and opens the program here again in, on the other side of this break, um, I want you to tell us a story. Well, well first of all, why don't you finish your, what happens when you guys send out an origin and cause guy, and then you've already done that very well. I want you to talk about two different things. One, insurance commissioner's offices mandate that that you have to uh, and um, you have to investigate fires why do they do that and the other thing is i want to hear that i want to hear that story donna's heard it and i didn't get to hear it so i want to hear <laughs> that i want to hear that great story that she actually has from. several yeah well okay well you can you we don't have time oh, yeah, for several, several. Yeah. let's stay on track for one but you'll definitely want to make your popcorn on the break let me tell you it is yeah, it well, is interesting it is well um, i'm sure but we don't Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's correct. Go ahead. Um, well, we have a duty. You'd mentioned the insurance commission, why, they, why we are required to investigate claims. We are required in good faith to, re- to investigate the claims and report arson in, in multiple states to the authorities. Um, there's actually specific, um, in certain states, specific language that we need to put into a letter when we notify the authorities that, hey, we believe we potentially have a problem here, it's very important that you involve them. Why they can, um, I don't want to say assist because it's two separate investigations, but it's something you want to bring to their attention. When you don't, and you don't talk to people and and share this information past NICB, um, ISO authorities, people can go on for years and years and years and never get caught. That's so right. and, that will help and, you uh, get a feel for what's coming up next. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. you that very much. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to, I'm really interested in this story. So uh, <laughs> we're going to take our break now so that we can get that over with, so we can get back to that story. So when you come back, please come back to Speaking of Fire. it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact fireanalysis.net. That's fireanalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlatman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Before the break, we were talking to Rhonda about sharing a story uh, from the insurance industry perspective. She's She's been involved in multiple, from auto to multi-million dollar cases, but and I know she has several, but we've af- asked her to select one and share with us a little bit. Well, thank you, Donna. Thank you very much. Um, something I'd like to stress here, when I do uh, my investigations, especially um, on fires. It's not me. It's a team, and I cannot stress that enough. Um, The team starts with one person being me to select people that can work together, um, that all have different knowledge sets, skill sets, that together can make a complete investigation. Um, Me, obviously, when I get a fire loss, who do I pull out? My origin and cause. Again, competent, experienced, someone that can pass that Dauber test, an electrical engineer like we've already talked about. And from there, there's two others that I'll pull in. Now, keep in mind, when I get a fire, it's generally brought up to me because at the field level, they have looked at it and said, wow, this is an extremely large loss or wow. This is um, something that the insured told me something that didn't make sense or, wow, Rhonda, they left the coffee maker off, but we know it turned on, whatever it is. So in doing that, depending on what information I gather from the get-go, the next people I'll get involved are an investigator and counsel. These are important to have. Why? Every state is different. Some states, guess what? You want to ask that insured some questions? You can. You can get a recorded statement, and guess what? That's your 
only statement you're going to get. You can't pull them in later for an EUO, an examination under oath, to answer those important questions that you may find out later. Um, so by getting counsel involved, they can assist me in, in reminding me of all the things that we need to know moving forward. So many things. Some states, um, for example, and I'm not even going to say it without my cheat chart in front of me, guys, but some states um, will say state XYZ. You have to send the insured a proof of loss within the first 20 days. A proof of loss will ask specific questions. Where? When? What happened? What are you claiming? So on and so forth. Guess what? If you don't know that you had to get that insured, that item or that document to fill out and return to you within 20 days, not that they have to return it in 20 days, but that you had to give it to them within 20 days, then you lose that right. There's a lot of little things like that. That's why I always involve counsel once I do my initial part just to get a feel for it. Um, so he can assist me or she can assist me with all those little rules that we want to keep on track on and make sure we're being as fair as we can to the insured as much as the insurance company. Um, in addition to counsel, an investigator. I cannot stress enough. I have had a lot of claims. I have had ones that I knew from the get-go, wow, a lot of questions I need answered. I didn't have a good investigator. I didn't get the questions answered, and I always regretted it. Um, in, in, in many cases, there's, there's, mm -hmm. there's in many cases uh, the insurance company itself has a special investigations unit, right? So they fill into that gap, right? Yes, yes. Right. which is something for, for all our people in the group here who, who do this daily, we know SIU. For those listeners that are not in the, in the field, SIU is Special Investigation Unit. But again, that doesn't mean that the insurance company puts someone in for SIU to, as I say, go get them. That's not what it is. It's simply so we can ask the questions. And that's generally when they get pulled in. But there's also other parts of the team that I may assemble, depending on what's involved in the fire. I've used a forensic accountant. I've used cyber experts. I've used cell tower experts. It just depends on what's involved in the loss itself. You know, I'm interested in, in what your feelings are about this. Uh, uh, you've already said in unequivocally you need an origin and cause investigator that is competent and certified, etc. Um, okay. Counsel. Counsel is also it's also important to have uh, someone with a, with a fire knowledge, fire fire case background, and uh, not just uh, uh, someone that's uh, just out of fresh out of law school that's never worked one. Yeah. Only because um, of the knowledge gap that that's there. Uh, there's a couple of. Uh, fire investigators, I mean, there's a couple of SCFIs, IAAI CFIs that later became attorneys, like David Bridges okay. up in Minneapolis, that he's, he's not only, he was a certified fire investigator first and then became an attorney. And so isn't that a, that, that's okay. a good combination. That's there's a few of those, awesome. but there's a lot mm -hmm. of people, there's, that's with Mirren Gear in, in Minneapolis, but, but, uh, but there's a lot of people all over the United States that have a really good uh, fire backgrounds uh, and work for our different firms. And, but it's, it's really your, um, it's your, up to the claims examiner, is it not to find the proper, um, the proper counsel? Yes, yes. I mean, we vet our counsel just as hard as we do our ONCs as our investigators simply right. because we have to rely on them. And again, it goes back to that rate thing we talked about before, Mike. I, I care less 
saving the five dollars. I want a competent, honest opinion. Period. But, but I think I promised you guys something tantalizing. That's right. Yeah, I was was going to go back. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Let's go. That's. I'm. (laughs) Here I am sitting here with a breath that smells like bait, otherwise known as baited breath. Go ahead. Um, actually, this is an interesting claim. Very interesting. This is a uh, large loss fire to the tune of $1.2 million on a homeowner's slash business owner um, in Tennessee. The fire actually happened um, on a weekend, so obviously we weren't in the office. So, the, And again, everything I say here can be different from company to company. I'm just giving you the take on this particular fire. When it came in, it didn't get assigned to me. It got assigned to the field right away. The fire itself was a grounder. What we know in the business to be, there's nothing there. It's on the ground. Um, It was a grounder. Mm -hmm. When it got assigned to me, it had already been about four days. By the time it got assigned to me, um, one, we didn't secure the scene, and two, they had already assigned to ONC. Unfortunately, the ONC was not somebody I'd worked with before or vetted, but since he had already examined the scene and the scene had now been disturbed with some cleanup, we went with what he had. This particular ONC ruled it accidental. The insured, by the way, that I did tell you this was a fire, right? Yes. yes. Good. Because this is kind of important. And, and you got to kind of laugh at this. The gentleman had a large house. And part of the house had a business in it. And in the business, he was in the business of, and I'm not making this up, you really can't make this stuff up. He was in the business of recharging fire extinguishers and showing people how to use them. (laughs) Can't make this up. Now, now, and he has a total lost fire. Accidental. Now, you gotta go, really? Really? So the room where this started you had at least 15 charged fire extinguishers and you didn't pick one of them up. There's my first, what we in the industry like to call red flags. Yeah. And in this particular case, yeah, that's a huge red flag just because you got to ask the question, why did you not? What happened? But basically on this fire, what we did was we've now sent out an ONC who unfortunately was not competent enough to ask a lot of the important questions. But what we did was once we got that far, we started asking more questions. I pulled in counsel right away, and I pulled in investigator, and I cannot tell you enough. Without them, this would not have been possible, not have been possible. It was a great team. Um, And my investigator got on the ground day one. What does he do? He knocks on doors. We don't just go by the fire department and say, can I have a copy of the report? No, he knocks on doors. He asked the insured five million questions. He asked the spouse five million questions, which, by the way, do not let me forget to come back to that at the end of the show. Very important tidbit I want to give people. Anyway, so my investigator goes out. We find out in this particular claim that the insured was on vacation with his wife, took their two dogs with him, went to South Carolina, and he had let a friend stay in the basement who had just started a business building 
birdhouses. Now, he had let the friend stay, and the friend was there the night the fire broke out. The friend stated that he saw the fire. He was in the basement in the middle of the night, decided to make a birdhouse. He decided to go outside for a quick break. When he was out there after two minutes, he came back in, opened the door, and saw these flames. Now, again, instead of, because he did work in the business somewhat with his, uh, with the insured who does the fire extinguishers, instead mm-hmm. of grabbing a fire extinguisher, he ran around screaming. So, again, we have more, again, what we like to call red flags. So, we did our investigation. Even though we had an ONC who came back and ruled it accidental, we still had to move forward because we have more questions. Now, here's something important for the ONC. In this particular case, the ONC did not ask vital questions, vital questions um, that he could have. One of the things was there was a, um, an alarm on the house so that it would, a central alarm, so that if a fire broke out, the fire department would be notified. Mm-hmm. The ONC, unfortunately, did not expand on that at all, did not check to see if they were notified, did not check with the alarm company, none of that, um, and unfortunately, had, ele- had told us that he was done with this scene, we had had some of it cleared, and now we find out, wow, a valuable piece of evidence in that central alarm system that could have still been in there, possibly intact, or who knows what we could get off of it, but is now gone. Now you have spoilation of evidence there. But a properly trained ONC would have asked those questions. Um, and then from there, we ended up um, getting the ONC report. It's, it's been ruled accidental. So what do we do from there? We start to dig. We say we have questions. We, we want to know why it's accidental when it's such an absurd story that he's told us. Um, because with the fire extinguishers there, he said the flames were only a couple feet high. Well, then why not grab one and put it out? Now I have this big question. So now I'm going to check. We used um, ISO, um, and we ran different bits of information here and there to see what we could find out. Um, in doing so, we found out that the friend who was making birdhouses had also turned in a claim with his carrier. He had just purchased, the week before, he had purchased a million-dollar liability policy mm-hmm. for making these birdhouses. You know, <laughs> hey, those birds could get hurt. I don't know what type of paint he was using. Maybe it was toxic. They had to buy that liability policy. You never know what could happen. But, That's true. And I, but I always, I mm-hmm. always build my, my birdhouses at 2 o'clock in the morning in the, in the basement. I don't, I don't get what's wrong with that. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure you do. I know he did. It's unbelievable. I know. I, you know. Yep. But so now in digging, we found out they had a million dollar liability policy he purchased the week before. So now we have more questions. So what do you do there? You're getting out if you haven't already, and you should have already, which we actually did immediately. Got out a reservation of rights to the insured. Okay. Now, a reservation of rights is letting the insured know that the insurance company is not waiving their rights, nor are we asking them to waive their rights. But because we are investigating, it does not mean there's coverage. We're simply investigating. 
but it is the insured's duty to cooperate with us. So we asked him at that time for the documents. We had certain things we wanted to know. We wanted to know his financials. We wanted to see this lease that he said he had with a friend. And even my investigator turned up some more information for me that the property did not even belong to our insured. Um, So we had to get explanation of that. Oh, yeah, it was his parents, still in his parents' name. So we had to work with that and ask for that documentation. But now here we are, we got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Now what do we do? We go in for an EUO, the examination under oath. Why? million questions. We worked as a team between my counsel, my investigator, and myself. We worked as a team. The investigator would ask a question. I was sitting in the EUO, so is my investigator. He's working his programs. I have my program, NICB, ISO, every little thing he gave us. He gave us a telephone number that he used to have. When we pulled it, guess what? It matched another fire a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a little bit more information about something else. We matched it. And in that EUO, we found out that he had two other fires and a restaurant that was on stilts that got pushed into the river for a total loss within eh, four years of this loss. <laughs> so a little bit of claims activity there. Well, so, I always tell my investigators that fire doesn't follow you around like a dog. Um, you, you've got, when you start yeah. having multiple losses in a, in a short time period, you're either, you're either um, doing it to yourself or you're having, a, you're, you're totally uh, incompetent and you shouldn't be near matches. Okay, so go <laughs> yeah, ahead. I agree. Oh, no, I agree totally with you, Mike. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that bad things don't happen to bad people. Stuff mm-hmm. happens. But you generally got to look twice at that, you know? It, it's a question. So we ended up investigating this a little bit further with the information he gave us. We come to find out um, that the restaurant that was pushed into the river two, I'm sorry, two or three years earlier than this fire, guess who the rental truck driver was are insured that accidentally bumped the truck into the stilts that pushed the restaurant into the fire. The birdhouse maker. birdhouse maker. Surprise. What a quinky dink, you know? This guy just, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be calling my friend at that point. I mean, come on, guys. There's got to be a time when you you let people go because they're just waiting to have an accident happen. So we end up investigating this to the point that we narrowed down that the fire alarm uh, from what he said happened and what we had in writing, we were able to narrow it down that wasn't possible what he was telling us happened. Was not possible, could not be true. When the door opened, when it shut, what he knew. Mm-hmm. So we talked to the friend, the birdhouse maker, a little bit more and a little bit more, and we dug a little bit more. And it comes to find out that the birdhouse maker ended up telling us he he knew he was in trouble. He knew because actually the fire marshal was all over this and everybody else. And it got to the point where he said, okay, I give. You're right. You're absolutely right. It It was not an accidental fire. We had been planning it. The other two fires that Rhonda and her team had dug up, 
Yes, they were also started fires. Um, and by the way, the one that went into the river, yes, I pushed the truck to push it into the river. Mm-hmm. But what your team does not know, these aren't our only four. We've been doing this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. 20 years. And again, right. all in an accident, not properly investigated, and that's what will happen. Well, one of the reasons that 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 you found that out is you had to you you had the proper claims examiner looking at things and and asking questions. And a lot of cases, uh, and I'm sorry to say this, but a lot of the insurance carriers uh, uh, they'd rather pay it than than uh, you know I don't like to hear it's an incendiary fire. They'd rather pay it. However, now uh, they've been urged now to uh, to start investigating them more um, closely. And uh, but again, you have to hire the right person, as you said, and the right counsel, because if you don't, exactly. you're exactly yeah. And you were you said toward the end not to ask you about the about uh, you know talking oh. to yes. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Mike. Because it, yes. and again, I can't stress this enough. Part of why I love your show is you always pick something up. You have great guests on here that I'm like, really? I didn't think about that. Ooh, good good thing to remember. I, even though. I, I do have experience. I've been around the block. We won't say how many times around the block. I, <laughs> yes, I dyed the grease in my hair, but we don't need to, you know, let people know I've been around the block that long. Right. But you still learn something. In this particular case, um, we had asked the spouse, as I'd mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. even though the insured was a business, it was also his home, and so we asked we asked her, what do you know? And she told us, we were on vacation. We got a call that we had a fire. That's the end of it. We didn't have any, she didn't have anything to do with the business. She didn't call us and ask questions. We just didn't deal with her much. We interviewed her the first time while she was standing there with her husband, the insured, and kind of let it go. Probably, it it was probably eight months into this, after we had filed our deck action mm-hmm. to request the court to review to see if they agreed there was coverage or not because we were claiming it was arson, the wife, let me rephrase that, the then ex-wife called oh. me <laughs> and said, hey, Rhonda, I- I've been tracking you down. Um, I'm a beaten woman, and uh, we set the fire I didn't. He did. I can tell you exactly how he said it and why. Don't pay it. It's fraud. This is the first time I've been able to get away from him and track down what insurance company he was working with. Wow. Now, why? Yeah, I had no clue talking to her. And she was more than willing once she found us to tell us everything. Now, what killed me about that was that same month, I got a call from a Texas um, official asking me about a claim uh, from probably two years before that. And I knew that claim. That claim was a total loss fire again. It was uh, almost a million. And I remember that claim because it bugged me. We could never figure it out. We paid it. And it kind of bugged me because we could never figure it out. But I don't care if I, don't, if I can't prove that's arson or believe it's arson. You can show it. I'll pay it. Mm-hmm. But that one bothered me. Guess what? He called to say that he 
had been in touch with that insured's wife. And she said she had been beaten. And that night, he actually tried to murder her. That's what started the fire. Mm. Unfortunately, I sat three feet from this woman in an EUO. Mm -hmm. Probably five minutes. No, she would talk for two seconds, break down in tears, obviously, uncontrollable. And half her body was burned. And here I felt so sorry for her. Okay, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you a question. We've only, we're learning out of time here. Uh, the, the, what happened in uh, the first case, the first case where, um, oh. you know, you had all this stuff on him. Did he go to trial? Did you deny the claim? What happened? Well, what we end up doing real quick, um, guys, everybody, pull spouses separately. You don't know when one spouse or the other can be in control of the other. Always right. interview them separately and multiple times. Right. This particular case, though, the Tennessee one I was telling you about, Yep. I don't know when those guys will see the light of day. They got charged <laughs> with, oh, I don't even know how many counts of arson, conspiracy to commit arson, um, conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, for insurance fraud. I, I think their parole is maybe, the earliest opportunity is maybe 10 years for parole. Um, but considering that this opened up three others that will then be charged against them plus multiple more, yeah, they probably won't see the light of day. So hopefully well, no nobody else will suffer from them. Well, I want to tell you how much we've enjoyed uh, talking to you. Um, we want to have you on the show again if if you would be so kind as to consent to do that. Oh, I would love to. Pull up a bag. Pull up a bag of popcorn. Call me anytime. I'm good. <laughs> Fantastic. And um, and so thank you again. Uh, and Rhonda, what if somebody wants to have you? Can you do this really quickly? How do they get in touch with mm-hmm. you? If you want a consultant? Go ahead. Well, I'll tell you what, if anyone wants to use me for consulting services, I would love to help. Uh, I love that. You can find me on LinkedIn, Rhonda Lukey, L-U-K-I-E. And if you go in there under my profile, it will give you my phone number and email address. Feel free to contact me. Thank Great. you. Thank you very Rhonda, much. thank you so much. Next next week, thank we're you. going to have um, uh, David Bridges from Mirren Gear, and we're going to have uh, two private fire investigators, uh, uh, Ken uh, Andrews and uh, Jeff Key from North Carolina, and they're going to talk about uh, the transition from uh, fire uh, or public service to private and also the difference between the kind of reports. Uh, and with David being an attorney, he, uh, he's got a lot of fire experience, etc. So thank you for, for talking to us today and are listening to us today. And uh, when you come back, come back to Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.